It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Uh, Stunning news about Bob Saget. Oh, my goodness. I mean, he's been at Fox News so often. I interviewed him quite a lot, and he was always as funny naturally as anybody I've ever seen. Uh, The tributes that are coming in just uh, reinforce, underline that he was a great person. And uh, ironically, we were at this same... um, the same theater, I was at the same theater on A1A in Ponte Vedra. WOKV listeners in Jacksonville know this area quite well. Uh, and we were there, I was there two weeks, three weeks ago. And it was right before Christmas. And that's actually the one, the show posted online where I did uh, the President Freedom Fighter tour. He was just there, posted on Instagram how great the audience was and how much he loved doing stand-up at 65. Found dead in his apartment. We'll find out the latest as it develops because right now the health examiner, the medical examiner, are now looking at uh, Bob Saget's body. Now let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And here's the really crucial question. Are the Russians posing? In the end, do they plan some kind of an invasion? Or are they really looking for something that will satisfy them? That's the, We just don't know the answer at this stage. That is uh, Keir Simmons of MSNBC, a, a, the, the international correspondent, covering this. It matters. Diplomatic talks in Switzerland right now because Russia and the U.S. officials are looking to avoid another confrontation and invasion. At stake in some way is the recapture of the Russians. Uh, Russians of the former Soviet Republic, and it can't stand. We have to put our uh, foot down and not let this happen. Number two. That number 25 is a very big number for Democrat retirements. In 2010, when we won the majority, 17 Democrats retired, already 25. I expect that number to be up to over 30 Democrat retirements because they see what the future holds and they see what the numbers Right. Uh, right now, the Democrats just have a five-seat lead. Kevin McCarthy, I believe, will be the next speaker. Politics, from caving up, uh, from carving up the filibuster to federalizing elections to the comeback of Donald Trump and the mass retirements of House Democrats, we will talk about it all. Number one. We have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people is severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children which we've never had before, in, in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. Sonia Sotomayor, her ineptness uh, and inaccuracy is stunning, jaw-dropping, realizing we were right. Living with this COVID virus, not eradicating it, has been the goal of even Democrats, uh, and they're beginning to agree uh, as the Omicron uh, virus is begging to peak, is beginning to peak, and... Possibly vanish. Mandate schools, testing, and tennis is all in the discussion docket. And we'll start with uh, what Justice Sonia Sotomayor said. I was stunned to hear, because we got these audio clips of the proceedings in the emergency session of the Supreme Court, because they're hearing whether mandates are constitutional with OSHA enforcing it on private industry. Like private businesses with over 100 will have to get vaccinated or have testing. And that's unconstitutional, I believe. But the arguments were made in front of the Supreme Court. But when you heard the Supreme Court justices speak 
my my head almost exploded about how wrong they are. I mean, you heard a little of it. Here's Justice Sotomayor. And remember, this is supposed to be the smartest among us, right? Cut to. Those numbers show that Omicron um, is as deadly uh, and causes as much serious disease in the unvaccinated as Delta did. Um, we have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people is severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children which we've never had before in, in serious condition and uh, many on ventilators. It's all not true. There might not even be one. Dr. Rochelle Walensky was put in that unenviable position for a Democrat uh, working for the Democratic administration to actually having to tell her she's flat out wrong. Cut one. Here's what I'll tell you. I'll tell you that right now, 17, you're, if you're unvaccinated, you're 17 times more likely to be in the hospital and 20 times more likely to die than if you're on, than if you're boosted. And so what my responsibility is, is to provide guidance and recommendations to protect the American people. Those recommendations strongly uh, recommend vaccination for our children above the age of five and boosting for everyone above the age of 18 if they're eligible. Well, she made it clear uh, in a later soundbite, the CDC director uh, made it clear that Sotomayor was incorrect. And there are not 100,000 pediatric COVID hospitalizations uh, that is of this weekend. Uh, of course, she was appointed by President Obama. Uh, there were a couple of thousand. She said we have 100,000 children. There's a couple of thousand. And we don't know how many are in with it or because of it. That's a big difference. It seems to be more dangerous for kids. But overall, this is the least dangerous thing we have dealt with through this pandemic. The problem is Dr. Michelle Walensky is is somebody who seems extremely nice, obviously extremely smart. But in over her head, her circle's too small. The president's circle too small. Where is the Mike Pence of this administration heading up the response to the uh, to the China virus? There is none. Joe Biden comes out there, reads a few statements, and avoids every question. I mean, the guy is totally alone. This administration is totally in over their heads. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, as reported by CNN on Friday, is now going through media training to better answer questions. We don't need a question answered. We don't like the answers that she has. I actually like the last one from last week, and she was vilified for it. She said, after five days, if you test positive— Give yourself five days and then go back to life. Then they, now ever, all these anchors and people are paranoid and they're saying, what do you mean? we got to test before we go back. Five days isn't enough. That's how scared America is. It's sad. Well, the problem is, even if you want to test, you can't do the PCR test because you have remnants in your nose for 14 days at least. Number two, you got to do the rapid test. Uh, uh, eight out of every 10 is right. I don't know if you're going to get the two. And then we don't have enough. So how could she possibly mandate a test for people testing positive? You can't. So she made a statement. And then she has her whole medical team, including Dr. Fauci, making her look bad, if that's possible. But it's about getting kids back in school. Obviously, keeping kids uh, safe, we understand that. But it's got to be about getting kids back to school. Mayor Eric Adams seems to agree on that. Cut six. Our policies have been rooted in, I need my children in school. And if my medical professionals tell me, Eric, we have to do 
a mandated vaccine, we're going to do that. But right now, we have brought over 1.5 million tests in our schools, as you indicated, in 95 masks, as well as other resources and tools. And we have been doing an amazing job because of one thing, coordination and communication with our UFT and other agencies involved. And I believe we're doing the right thing for our children, having them in the safest place, and that is in the school building. And they're giving great incentives for people to be a substitute teachers through this, and they're trying to do the same thing in Chicago. I think that's great. Asking retired teachers to come out in New Jersey, that's great. That's called being resourceful and trying to get the kids back in school because nobody argues that it's the same as when you're on a laptop or an iPad at home. So... The quick question is, that's one element of it, getting kids back in schools. Number two is what's the latest with the virus. And number three is, how could this administration be so inept not to have nearly the tests or the communications ability to tell us what we're going through? Jonathan Carl picked up on that, wrote this, uh, this hit book on President Trump, Cut 9. And when you look at where we are now, you know, I mean, obviously the pandemic's not under control. That's not Biden's fault. That's that's a virus that has uh, mutated and advanced in ways that have been unpredictable uh, and and hard to control. But you, you've had a disaster over testing, which reminds me of the disaster over testing that, frankly, we had when when, when Trump pre- was president. We've had mixed messaging out of the CDC uh, that has drawn criticism from people like uh, Dr. Zha and, and, and other medical experts. Uh, he needs to establish uh, a, a, a new direction and a new plan for this. And I think real Realizing that he has that we're all going to be living with a new normal is the first step towards doing that. Exactly. He's got to open up his circle and include more people in there. Dr. Fauci was sidelined for a reason. You thought it was political. It was because his statements were meandering. He, they were contradictory. And he was wrong over and over again. Now he seems at 81 years old to be his sole advisor. And, and we're stuck with the CDC director who's now getting media training how to read a teleprompter. She's sitting there, look like these, this closet that she's in, reading whatever remarks are underneath the camera. Can we increase her budget and get her an iPad? Julie Pace from the Associated Press was on This Week with George Stephanopoulos. And I thought this is one thing I have picked up on. More and more as I flipped the channels to kind of get ready for media buzz, which I was on over the weekend, I wanted to see what other what was really on the other channels for the first time in a long time. So I'm just flipping around, and I'm noticing there are people getting really ticked off about the mixed messaging, that we were told we were out of the woods, that the, we were not ready for this variant, that we don't have simple things like testing that was invented two years ago. Julie Pace says this means conservatives are beginning to win this. Cut 10. We are seeing this really remarkable shift. You know, early in the pandemic, you could basically draw a straight line between the between, uh, you know, your partisan affiliation and where you fell on covid restrictions. And now that's really been muddied where you're seeing uh, Democrats who had been much more in favor of tighter restrictions who are starting to, as John said, starting to to feel like we have to move forward and try to live with this. They want to keep schools open. They are very uh, skeptical of the need for those really tight lockdowns that we saw earlier. And, and the reality is we are in a different phase, even as we do see the case numbers on the rise uh, with more people being vaccinated. Those cases tend to be milder. We're not seeing the spikes in hospitalizations and, and deaths. And that has really muddied, I think, the, the public's willingness to accept uh, a real rollback in their ability to live life as normal. Yeah, I think he's, she's 100 percent right. Listen, I'm going to take a time out. one 408 7669 We got Senator Ron Johnson at the bottom of the hour. He's been on with us before and I'm pushing him to run again. I think he's a real impactful, well-thought-out, dedicated public servant who made his millions in business and said, I'm only going to run two terms. 
and he's going to go for a third. And I'm glad. I want to find out his thought process. But you know who else is glad? Democrats. They think he's vulnerable. So I'll hear from him. Also, special thanks to WNJDR-FM. They're going to be airing our show live for three hours in South Mississippi at 98.3. We're thrilled to have you a part of the fastest-growing show, uh, show, I think, in all of radio, and certainly one of the most powerful, now four in the talkers list. Thanks so much for making us uh, being a part of it, and I look forward to hearing from all your callers, 1-866-408-7669. In fact, if I hear from WJDR callers, I will mail you out a copy of The President and Freedom Fighter. I will sign it to you and get it out as a welcome present. Your call's next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I believe that D.A. Braggs is going to be a partner to keep our city safe. Uh, we're going to go through any of disagreement or lack of understanding of any policy in that office uh, to come to a solution together. And I don't want it to play out in the media. It must play out when we all sit down together and make this a safe city. I I ran on that. I believe it. And I'm not going to compromise the safety of the people of this city. Yeah, it's not going to be your choice. He's got, he thinks he was elected to do this, and George Soros gave him a million dollars to win. And once he got the nomination, like the mayor, he's got the, he's got the job because there's no Republican opposition. So he could say what all he wants. I want it to play out in the public. I want the public to know that they're going to crack down on crime. Right now, what played out in the public was his permissive stance on crime. That's why at 1 in the morning yesterday, you saw a— Burger King worker, 19-year-old, get shot in the abdomen and killed for 100 bucks, And the guy went back twice, killed her the the second time. Because he didn't kill him the first. It's on camera. It's horrible. But this is what's happening in the city. I mean, I I did notice an increased police presence in the subway on Friday. Harold, listen on WPTF in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, Harold. Yeah, I had the pleasure of watching you on Fox this morning, and I couldn't agree more with Dan Bongino. Bongino about the first time one of these arrests goes south, he's going he's gonna to throw the cops under the bus. The bottom line is police officers' qualified immunity was removed. Guess who still has it? Politicians and DAs. You remove that from them and you get a different attitude. Well, a couple of things. Uh, he knows that if he does that, he loses the police force for the next four years. So I think he'll be uh, – I know what Dan said, and I hope he's wrong. Dan hopes he's wrong. But I think the first thing he's going to do, he's going to notice crime going through the streets, and he's going to notice his cops are taking a step back. I wouldn't do it. Would you, Harold? Would you be well, going in there, infiltrating, uh, getting in the middle of uh, uh, these shooting wars if, if you know I, I would, that these guys are going to be out in a second? I, would, I wouldn't do it. And, and this is the question. These officers don't have qualified immunity anymore. anymore. So why would they get involved? Why would they, put, why would they risk their lives, their homes, their careers? Because all it takes— Perfect example. Everybody talks about police reform. That shooting in Atlanta where the guy was in the car and Burger King or whatever, that was picture-perfect police attitude. They spoke to this guy for 45 minutes before when they tried to put the cuffs on him, he started acting up. And now guess what? In New York, uh, it, is, uh, it is a misdemeanor if you resist arrest. So 
Forget it. I mean, it's unbelievable uh, what's going on there. Here is Bill Bratton. He joined us last week, but he was on with uh, John Casamitidis, too. Cut 27. The DA is effectively handcuffing the police, the district attorney, and several of the other district attorneys uh, in New York, uh, uh, basically saying they don't have confidence in the police force. They don't trust them. And uh, they're effectively uh, removing so many tools out of the toolbox to try and keep New York safe. Things that we know kept New York safe for the last 30 years. Yeah, and he's uh, he's outraged by it. Uh, Jason listening uh, in Kentucky. Hey, Jason. Hey, Brian. I don't know about you guys, but I was kind of disturbed about Friday's uh, Supreme Court arguments when Justice Sotomayor come up with the statistic of 100,000 children, which we have you know, never seen in a serious condition. If she's getting those facts that inherently wrong, does that concern you about yes. the court on this subject? Absolutely. And then now, you know what they wrote today in the Washington Post? They were concerned that Gorsuch walked into the hearing without a mask. They go, that shows he already made up his mind. What are you talking about? These people are feet away. They're in. They're about to sit down. They're not going to wear a mask while listening. And I, he is allowed to make his own decision. The one thing I think is pretty clear. I think that not only is this a conservative court, but I think that the Constitution does not allow you to do this to private business. Where will it stop? It's going to stop. And now we already are. We're already roped into a booster. Uh, my, you know, I have someone coming on the show today who's pushing back in colleges. Every college kid that you are, that's listening to me right now knows they got to go back to school with a booster. Now they're going to be saying that the high school, now they're going to assume they're going to mandate zero to four-year-olds get a vaccine, and then we're going to build a fourth booster. I looked at my car the other day. It expires 4-17-22. That's when I got my second shot. Wait a second. Now I'm roped into getting a vaccine every year? I haven't gotten the smallpox every year, the whooping coughs uh, every year. This is not a vaccine. So uh, I'm real concerned about all this. I don't think the booster's helping. I mean, look, let me see. Who got the booster shot? Uh, Whoopi Goldberg got positive. Uh, guess who got the booster shot? AOC, she tested positive. Guess who got the booster shot? Dana Perino tested positive. I know the problem. They need a fourth shot. That's what we need. We need a fourth shot. The booster does not attack the Omicron. They told us that. And now they just go... They need some Prevagen because they lost uh, the ability to remember telling us that. When we come back, Senator Ron Johnson, on why he decided to run for another four years. And is there a shot of getting back the Senate? Not if he doesn't win, I'll tell you that. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you think he's already made the decision to take control of Ukraine? George, I don't know if the decision has been made, and it's clear that we've offered him two paths forward. Uh, One is through diplomacy and dialogue. Uh, The other is through uh, deterrence and massive consequences for Russia if it renews its aggression against Ukraine. And we're about to test the proposition of which path uh, President Putin wants to take uh, this week. Uh, that is uh, Anthony Blinken. Right now, there are meetings in Switzerland with the, his Russian counterpart. 
I guess Wendy Sherman is leading the talk. She's uh, she uh, always uh, continues to be an epic fail. And now they're going to pretend to be tough with Russia. Where's Russia? They moved into Kazakhstan. They moved into Belarus. They moved into Georgia eight years ago, haven't left. Uh, they've been still in portions of the Ukraine and now have over 100,000 troops there. Guys, I don't know if you noticed, but they're looking to reconstitute the Soviet Union. That probably has not eluded Senator Ron Johnson, a member of the, uh, the Foreign Relations Committee, who's going to be running for a four more years. But first things first, Senator, are you optimistic something will come out of these talks to stop an invasion? Well, good morning, Brian. And I I wish I could say I was optimistic, but I think you're seeing the direct result of weakness in foreign policy. I mean, that that what was so not only embarrassing, but dangerous about the surrender in Afghanistan is what it signaled to our adversaries. Now, you notice Russia didn't do this under the previous administration that embraced Ronald Reagan's peace through strength policies, where, where even though Congress unanimously provided President Obama the authority to provide lethal defensive weaponry, the Obama administration never did. They always, they always just threatened serious consequences. Now, I'm sure it has the dictator shaking their boots. President Trump actually provided the Javelin missiles that, that were lethal defensive weaponry, and it kept Russia at bay. But Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, they see the weakness as demonstrated in Afghanistan. And so they're going to test this administration. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if all Putin was doing is amassing a bunch of troops to just get concessions out of the Biden administration because they know they're weak. Um, but they know Europe, in many respects, is weak. So, again, it's just it's tragic. It's tragic. There, there is a real consequence of elections there is a real negative consequence to Democrat governance and Democrat foreign policies. You know, when, when you're going around the world like President Obama did, you know, saying that you know, America really is not an exceptional country, you know, people hear those things. People witness this weakness. And so our, our, our world is in a perilous position right now because of the Biden administration, weakness, Democrat governance. Just about everything they're doing is weakening America and our adversaries are noticing that, and they'll take advantage of it. So possible sanctions that could be on the table. Cutting off Russia's largest financial institution from the global, from the global transaction, it seems that the SWIFT system, imposing an embargo on American-made or American-designed technology needed for their defense-related and consumer industries, arming insurgents uh, in the Ukraine, and Senator Rounds brought up yesterday just stopping the Nord Stream 2 pipeline before it's too late. What would Senator Ron Johnson like to see? Well, I proposed this in a Senate Foreign Relations hearing. I said I would start dismantling the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. You know, now, now, again, you're going to have to have our European partners to go along with that. But if they're not looking at what Russia is doing right now and the threat that represents to their own security, um, I, don't, I don't know what other wake-up call Europe needs. So my policy, I would be right now – uh, pressuring our European allies start dismantling that. You never should have constructed it. You never should have made it out. You know, uh, move made moves to start making it operational. Uh, right now, just a, a momentary delay. What, what good is that going to do? I would say start dismantling it. That would prove to Russia that we are serious. The re- the West is unified. We're not going to allow you to be aggressive. We're not going to allow you to violate the agreement you signed with Ukraine. Um, what, what do you should take on Russia, Kazakhstan? Does that make Russia look strong or weak? Pardon? What is your take on the Russian maneuver requested by the dictator in Kazakhstan for help 
There was uh, something like 264 dead. They asked Russians for help, and the Russians rolled in there with tanks. Does that make the Russians look strong or weak? Well, it, it makes Russia look dangerous. And let's face it, I mean, in, in the scheme of things, the, the West, our, our economies are, you know, over $30 trillion large. Russia is somewhere between 2 3 or $4 trillion, depending on how you value it. Who's pushing who around? So, so Ru- Russia is just weak. The only thing that expresses their strength is about 7,000 nuclear weapons and this type of aggressive action. So this is what Putin is doing to shore up his own public support. Uh, he demonstrates nationalism. He tries to show his public that, no, we're, we're, we're a strong nation. They're not a strong nation. They could be a strong nation if they would join the civilized world. You work with the West. Uh, they, they could integrate their economies with ours. They could enjoy freedom and prosperity. But unfortunately, that's not the path that Putin took. It's, it's a tragedy in, in, in world history. But, you, you know, you have to stand up to a bully. You can't allow him to get away with this. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, I, I fear the Biden administration will allow him. And, and I, I fear they'll make concessions. So you're going to run again. You won in 2010, beating Russ Feingold. You won again in 2016, coming from way back. And you said, that's it. Uh, I'm that's it. But something changed over the last four years. Did you feel as though you're going to, instead of what you want to do, you're going to do what you think you have to do, and that's run for another four years. What, what, sober, what sobering experience did you have over the last four years that said, I got to, I got to run and finish this job? I mean, in a nutshell, Democrat governance. You know, listen, I, I, I appreciated President Biden's inaugural when he said his number one goal was to unify and heal this nation. I, I, we need that. We truly need this. This is unsustainable in democracy to be as divided as we are. Uh, but then you, you've seen what his governance looks like. The, the open borders, you know, the flood of illegal immigration, you know, the embarrassing, dangerous surrender in, Af- in Afghanistan, the, the out of control deficit of spending and debt, the rising inflation. You know, the fact that we not only have catch and release on the border, we have it within a criminal justice system. You know, these low bail policies promoted by like Vice President Harris allowed a criminal in Milwaukee to come into Waukesha and slaughter six people, injure more than 60 others. The, the, the Waukesha tragedy never should have happened. It's the direct result of government of Democrat policies, weakness on crime, Weakness in foreign policy. And so, you know, you know I, I just have a feeling our nation is being torn apart, Brian. And in a nutshell, I mean, I love America. I mean, I fervently love America. We are the shining city on a hill. America must be strong. And Democrat governance is making us weak. Democrat governance has put us on a very dangerous path. And, and I believe I'm in a position to help make America stronger and safer, to help improve things. And I, I, I've never walked away from an issue of problem. I, I, I just determined. I just decided I, I can't walk away from this. Would you? Would you, if you're in a position to help? To right. Make no, I agree. And I think I said this to you once. I don't know if you were receptive to it, but I said it sounds like you are astonished the level of uh, corruption with most of the media when you were just bringing up things like the laptop of Hunter Biden, when you were bringing up things like the, the, the positive qualities of ivermectin and the way you were marginalized as some crackpot, I think instead of you being insulted, you were just astonished. And I think that brought you to this place. Am I right? Yes. I mean, my eyes were opened. Uh, you know, we, we have to restore confidence 
in these institutions in America. We are, we are in such a dangerous position where you don't have confidence in the FBI or the Department of Justice or federal health agencies that have, who have not been transparent, have not been honest with us during COVID. In our, in our news media, in big tech, I mean, we, we don't have, by and large, we don't have journalists anymore. We have advocates. They, they don't conduct interviews with me. They argue with me. Now, I'm not referring to people like you in, in talk radio and conservative media. I'm talking about mainstream media. I know, I watch where Most Americans yeah. get, their, get their news. I mean, th- this is unsustainable to have such a lack of confidence in these important institutions in a free democracy. So it looks like Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes will be a, uh, a candidate on the left. Wisconsin State Treasurer Sarah uh, God whiskey, I guess that's how you pronounce it, or in Alex, Alex Lazary will be vying to be the Democratic nominee. They think you're vulnerable. What do you say? Well, I can tell you how the race is going to shake out right away. I mean, my, my first ads are going to be talking about the disaster that Democrat governance is. I'll be talking about the policy issues. They already are engaging in the, the politics of personal destruction. They, they literally, I don't know how many millions of dollars before I even announce. I mean, for a year. In a concerted effort between their allies in the media, big tech, and the Democrat Party, they've been viciously attacking me, falsely attacking me for over a year, running ads, millions of dollars of ads, politics of personal destruction. For my part, I'm just going to be running on the fact that Democrat governance is a disaster for America. You know, the the litany is is actually too long. Our, Our first series of ads, we had to really cut two versions of the same ads because I couldn't fit it all in. You know, all, all the disastrous results of the policies. So, again, that's Democrats are going to engage in personal, the politics of personal destruction. I'll, I'll be talking about really how disastrous their policies are and trying to restore confidence in, in our institutions, in, you know, in, in the minds of the American public. We do need to unify and heal, unify and heal this nation. That, that's what I hope I can turn this campaign into. Senator, so we watched... Uh... Glenn Youngkin become governor of Virginia by not dismissing, but not running with the president of the former president of the United States. And I'm wondering, I know you two really got along. I think it's your common business background. What, is, what do, what will the role of president Trump's previous four years and maybe next is hope to get four more years. What role will that have in your campaign? I think you point out what worked, uh, you know, the fact that, he embraced, and by the way, I, I think I was the first guy that pointed out that our regulatory burden is $2 trillion a year. I mentioned that to him before he was, it was just as a candidate. And within a week, he was talking about this $2 trillion regulatory burden. So he, when he got into office, he stopped adding to that regulatory burden. He, stopped re, he started reducing it, which allowed entrepreneurs to start concentrating and building better products and providing, providing better services. Then, then we have a more competitive tax system. So you concentrate on what worked strength you know peace through strength works so you'll take a look at what president trump got right but also i think we'll be talking about how the media and big tech and the deep state and it is a deep state it's a deep state it's populated by a bunch of liberals you know look look at the corruption of the fbi in the whole uh russian collusion hoax it was a hoax so, again, I, I think we, we just talk about the truth. I mean, that, the only way to restore confidence, yeah. Brian, is to ask questions, try and get the answers, but to reveal the truth. You, the, we, we, you know, we got to sh- sh- you know, shed sunshine. We, we got to shed light 
on what's happening in our government, what's happening in these institutions, so we can restore confidence. And that's that's kind of what I've been doing the last six years in my oversight. I've been asking a lot of questions. I've been doing investigations. I mean, it's not why I went to Washington, D.C., but it's the role that I was given as chairman of the Senate Oversight Committee. And Mm -hmm. it's a role I embrace to ask questions, try and get answers, and reveal truth and speak truth, no matter how much you're attacked for speaking it. It's somewhat rare. You know, when when you don't conduct yourself worrying about reelection. Now, I made two promises. I always tell you the truth. I won't vote with my reelection mind. I won't conduct myself with reelection in mind. When when you make that kind of promise and you have that kind of attitude, it's easy it's easy to keep those promises, and that's what I've done. That's good news about six years as opposed to two years in the House. You can really take back to take a deep breath and just get to work. Uh, here's what Senator Mike Brown, so I know you like, uh, said about supporting Donald Trump. Could you support President Trump if he runs again? I'll take a hard look at it. Uh, personally, what what I've told people is is I'm going to support the Republican nominee to be president. I'm not sure that the eventual nominee has even shown up yet. There's still over two years to go. We're, we're, we're going to focus on the, uh, the next election cycle. It's critical that we take back the House. It's critical that we take back the United States Senate. And doing and based upon that, then we'll decide who our nominee for president is going to be. Uh, do, you have, do you hesitate, too? Do you know who you're going to support? No, I, I think uh, what uh, Mike Rounds is saying is we need to concentrate at, on, on the 2022 election. We need to stop the disastrous policies of the Biden administration. And so you focus on that. I mean, I, I don't really like answering hypothetical questions. Uh, so, again, concentrate at the issues at hand. Let's stop the disastrous policies of the Democrats right now. Let's let's gain control. And then, then we'll turn our attention to 2024. Lastly, uh, how does it feel knowing that if you don't win, the Republicans probably have no shot at winning the Senate? Well, that was certainly one of the factors that weighed on my conscience, whether or not I should should run or not. Uh, I, I, I have no doubt that I'm the best person for this job. Um, I, I, I will be, you know, I am, I am the best candidate here. And so, you know, I know how seriously I'll take this race. I know how hard I'll work uh, running this campaign. If, if you don't mind, I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to need a lot of help. So Ron Johnson for Senate.com. Ron Johnson for yep. Senate.com. I'm, they're they're going to spend tens. This is absurd, Brian. This is grotesque how much money is spent in these campaigns. But I'll need that money to just defend myself and to promote freedom. They think they can beat you. what made yeah. this country great. Yeah, they think they can beat you, so they're going to come after you. So uh, I remember when you were running for election, you were about 20 points down, and then you won easily. Uh, so Senator Ron Johnson going out for another six years. Senator, thanks so much. God bless you. Stay well. All right. I'm glad you made that decision. 1-866-408-7669. I'll squeeze in some calls when we come back on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I just looked at the, uh, Brian, the comp stat sheets of the NYPD. Yeah. Overall in the city is trending up by double digits in every crime category. They've had a breathing space for the last week in murders and shootings, which is down for that one week. But when you look at the 28-day average, when you look at the, uh, the trending over the months and years, it is up by double figures, 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%. Uh, that doesn't bode well for the new mayor and the new police commissioner trying to deal with the district attorney who is effectively taking the handcuffs off the criminals and putting them on the police. 
it's a it's a recipe for disaster. He doubts that, especially the former police commissioner who is in Boston, who's in New York and Los Angeles. Besides that, William Bratton really hasn't done much. He might he, he might be the uh, human a, a living, breathing example of a study on what works and what doesn't work. With crimes from the 70s, 80s, 90s, he doesn't need to look up stats. He lived it. And now, after raiding New York in and doing the same in Los Angeles and restoring prestige to the position, now we're seeing that the uh, this former captain becomes mayor, even though he had a dicey background. People are willing to understand that he was maybe going to be pro-law enforcement. Then this DA comes out and look at a downgrade almost all crime. And then we're watching horrible situations like what happened last night at 1 in the morning, I should say, in the morning. There's surveillance video of a 19-year-old at a Burger King, 1 o'clock in the morning at 116th Street in Harlem. And basically they come in and they hold up. This guy comes in, holds the place up, pistol whips a bunch of people, uh, grabs the money and leaves. Decides it wasn't enough money perhaps, comes back and then shoots her dead. And now her mom says, you know, I feel so terrible. I told her, you're 19 years old. You got to be going to college. You got to get yourself a job. Even though it's not a great shift, you got to do it. And she said, I'm concerned for my welfare, and now she's dead. Now, what happens to this guy? Has he been out before? I'm sure he has a record. Should he not be prosecuted? I guess not according to this DA. In Staten Island, they're not going to put up with it. The police chief, the new police chief doesn't want to put up with it. The mayor's got to crack down on it because it's happening everywhere. Houston, too. Texas, of all places. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. All right, let's get ready, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 We'll come to you from New York, still overrun with crime, uh, still without a lot of people because of uh, Omicron. Uh, and we are still going to be discussing that. Also, New York, a place that I think will lose their, certainly their general manager in the New York Giants and maybe their head coach after one of the worst finishes in the history of sports uh, in the NFL and one of the smallest crowds ever. You combine both them, it looks like they'll be fired. Looks like the, the Miami Dolphins, despite winning, uh, Brian Flores winning eight of his last nine games, it looks like he's been fired. The Vikings fired their coach. The Bears fired their coach. Uh, we got to discuss this. Let's see if we can get this going this hour. Uh, and we're going to talk to Congressman uh, Brian Harrison. Uh, Brian Harrison, of, um, he'll be joining us live, as well as Michael Goodwin in a matter of moments. As we also look at the death of Bob Saget, stunning at the age of 65. Uh, no foul play. Uh, it just looks like he passed away in an Orlando hotel room. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And here's the really crucial question. Are the Russians posing? In the end, do they plan some kind of an invasion? Or are they really looking for something that will satisfy them? That's the, we just don't know the answer at this stage. Well, it matters. Diplomatic talks in Switzerland right now between Russia and U.S. officials. Wendy Sherman takes the lead with us. Somehow the Russians are looking to reconstitute the Soviet Union. Look at this. Belarus. Look at this. Kazakhstan. Look at what they've done in Georgia. They're still there. And look what they're trying to do in the Ukraine. This must stop. Number two. That number 25 is a very big number for Democrat retirements. In 2010, when we won the majority, 17 Democrats retired, already 25. I expect that number to be up to over 30 Democrat retirements because they see what the future holds and they see what the numbers. 
Right, it's true. Uh, the future Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, uh, from caving to the filibuster to federalizing elections to the comeback of Donald Trump and the mass retirements of, use of House Democrats, we will look at it all. Number one. We have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people is severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in, in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. Not true. Realizing we were right, living with the COVID virus, not eradicating it, has been the goal. Even Dems are beginning to agree when it comes to Omicron and their ba- uh, as it looks to peak over the next two weeks. Mandate schools, testing, and even tennis all on the docket. So let's bring in Michael Goodwin. You know he's a Fox News contributor, New York Post columnist. Uh, welcome back, Michael. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. Uh, first off, I was so optimistic about Eric Adams. I still mildly am. But when he said, I have to have my brother as a security, head of security because of white supremacy, when I said I've, he's now changed his mind when it comes to supporting uh, illegal immigrants here on visas from voting in municipal elections, and now he comes out and won't take on the DA of Manhattan uh, when the DA decides to go soft on crime, even upsetting his new police chief, the Staten Island DA, and almost every sober-minded New Yorker. How do you feel? Well, uh, I'm disappointed in Eric Adams over some of these things, but uh, I look at it this way, Brian. It's early. Uh, he's been in office, what, 10 days or so, not even. Um, and, and I think that uh, these are things that are on the edge right now. On the edge, by that I mean they're, they're sort of they're things he's talking about, things he's saying. I mean, hiring his brother is not a great thing. But these, to me, are not fundamental issues right now. The fundamental issues are crime and education. And then I would say taxes uh, being third. So if he can, I think he's made very good moves on education. I think his chancellor is a terrific-sounding uh, person who is very much cares about education for minorities. Uh, he's run some uh, black young black boys' schools, and I think he will support charter schools. He already has, and I think he will. Uh, weed out the rot in the Department of Education, which is a mammoth enterprise in and of itself, but that's where most of the money goes. Uh, And so I I think, for example, in in that choice, I think the police commissioner said exactly the right thing about the Manhattan DA's memo to his staff about not prosecuting so many crimes when she said, you know, the the things that you say you won't prosecute prosecute are the very things that New Yorkers come to the police to complain about. And so you've put the police in this position of not being able to do their jobs or doing their jobs, and then you reject, you reject the arrest that they make. Uh, and, the, and the citizens feel like, you know, the cops aren't doing anything. And so, you, so I think there are good signs within these, what I consider at this point, peripheral uh, troubling signs uh, from Eric Adams. Okay, I hear you. Uh, It's a national show, even though New York so many times is the center of everything. Mayor Francis Suarez, who is uh, running up the U.S., the Republican, the GOP mayor's uh, convention uh, conference this year, or for the next two years, said this about just policing in general, cut 24. 
Certainly investing in your public safety should be the number one uh, goal. Uh, police officers in America, I think, now have the hardest job in America. Uh, they, um, you know, they have, uh, you know, they have to do the most number of things for the least pay with the most scrutiny of any profession uh, in this country. Uh, and I think we should not only invest in, in them in terms of the, the sheer number of them and their pay, but I think we should also invest in technology and giving them the tools as a force multiplier uh, to, you know, to do their job better. Yeah, I just saw, I think they get the most scrutiny and the least pay. I thought that line is really encompassing it all. I have been, been on the subway Thursday and Friday of last week. Every car I get in, there's a cop, there's a cop there. And there are two of them, actually. Uh, and during peak times, they're taking up space. But, I mean, obviously, <laughs> he's, trying to, he's trying to get through to them. So, uh, Jay, true, they, hey, guys, there's going to be law and order. But then this 19-year-old Burger King, this girl, just graduated high school. Her mom says, you got to get a job. we got to change our life circumstances. At 116th Street in Lexington, she gets robbed, uh, pistol whipped. And then when they realized, I guess when this assailant realized didn't have enough money in the pouch, came back and killed her. And he felt, it felt like as though he was going to function with impunity, breaking the law like that. When you see that, that ripples across the country. Uh, no question, Brian. And it's a horrific example, as you say, of of a guy thinking he's going to get away with this. I mean, that's that's what happens. I mean, when when the mayor of Miami is talking there about the police mentality, the police are up against these guys. And so when the Manhattan D.A. basically tells his people we're not going to prosecute resisting arrest, if that's the only issue, uh, again, you're not backing up the cops. You're leaving the cops on an island. You're Telling them, here, go make us safe, but don't do A, B, C all the way through X, Y, and Z. And if you do, we're going to arrest you. We're going we're gonna to bring you, you up on charges. You're going to lose vacation days. I've always thought that was one of the most bizarre punishments for a police officer to lose vacation days as a punishment. What, do we want them to work 360 days a year straight through? I mean, it's a bizarre idea that this punitive approach to the police, when the police Police are all that stands between us and that guy with a gun who doesn't have any respect for human life, who who probably is some tortured person himself in some ways. But but the point is there have to be consequences. There have to be rules. I mean, what's next? We're going to take away the red lights and the stop signs too? I mean, this is insane thinking that we can just sort of trust everybody and there won't be any harm done. I mean, the police right. are are there to protect, and they do, thank God. So, you know, by the way, we need teachers and we need uh, hospital workers, but we told them all to, to take a hike because they're not vaccinated. So we saw this over the weekend. There's a big debate on whether private companies can be forced to be vaccinated if you have over 100 people and all, and the Supreme Court went to special session to do it. I was so flawed to see how ill-informed these Supreme Court justices, nobody more least informed than Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Listen to what she says. Cut to. Those numbers show that Omicron um, is as deadly uh, and causes as much serious disease in the unvaccinated as Delta did. Um, we have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children which we've never had before in, in serious condition and uh, many on ventilators. So none of that's true. 
the numbers are wild. It's not true about the two variants. It's not true about the kids in numbers, the kids on ventilators. And even the CDC director said it. Listen. The we number's not 100,000. It's roughly 3,500 in hospitals now. It, Yes, there are, there are. And in fact, what I will say is, while pediatric hospitalizations are rising, they're still about 15-fold less than hospitalizations of our older age, age demographics. Do you have a- so, I mean, even the CDC director got that one thing right, that she was that wrong. I mean, I was, I was under the impression that you might, be having, you might have a proclivity right or left, but I didn't know you weren't going to put the work in as Supreme Court justice. It's an interesting uh, moment because it does raise a larger question, Brian. Where do they get their facts? I mean, we, we know they're there to, to do constitutional law uh, and, and to make sure that every law, every case that comes before them conforms to the Constitution. But where do they get their facts? Because Sotomayor is using the facts that she has in her own head that are completely wrong. Uh, she's using them to justify a position on the Constitution. So it's not irrelevant when she starts spewing that nonsense sense because it is clearly guiding her toward a conclusion. Now, she's maybe already reached her conclusion, but the questioning that she's asking, I mean, it's amazing to me that Somebody on one of her clerks, uh, uh, a fellow jurist, doesn't say, excuse me, you're, you're wrong, and therefore the conclusion you're, you could reach with that wrong num- set of numbers uh, would be erroneous. I mean, it's, it's quite striking. Yeah, I would say so. Lastly, the president of the United States, after one year, has given less interviews and less press conferences than any one of his previous five predecessors. Ronald Reagan was the one who gave less because he got shot. Uh, I think that was a pretty good excuse. I'm struck by the fact that President Biden is so alone on all this stuff. He never comes out with an economic advisor, never comes out with his head of pandemic response, never comes out with his labor secretary talking about the supply chain problems, never comes out with his secretary of state talking about how they screwed up Afghanistan or his secretary of defense, about the Russia challenge. Somebody, Wendy Sherman, he goes out by himself, and he's the least prepared president to answer any question I can remember. Having said that, that's an easy fix, Michael. Right? Isn't that an easy fix? But they continue to send him out alone, and he awkwardly walks away from questions, making him look so timid. I think, Brian, that um, this is something of a puppet show that we're witnessing. And uh, the Ron Claims, Jill Biden, uh, the Susan Rices, um, the Blinken, uh, they all know that Biden is not fit to be president. They know that he's got mental issues, that, that he simply cannot carry on a conversation. And, they're, and so they're hiding it. Uh, they've been hiding it for a year and a half, two years now, all through the campaign and this. I mean, you have a president who looks and sounds infirm, uh, somebody who, who cannot really, uh, as you say, express himself, cannot answer questions, cannot think on his feet. And this is well, the president Wouldn't of the my United resolve, States. wouldn't my answer, wouldn't my idea answer that question? Remember, Trump would come out, say hello, read some stats, and then even he would back off after a while? Yes, it might work. But I think the problem here is that Biden is so befuddled that the comparison would be devastating. 
why can't Biden? I mean, because what, what they're going to say is nothing dramatic or they're not scientists. I mean, they're specialists in their field or whatever. But what, what are they going to say that, that Biden himself couldn't say? That, I think, is the real issue, that Biden can't. He's the president. He cannot enunciate his foreign policy. He cannot enunciate his his pandemic policy. He didn't know what let's I go mean, Brandon meant. Do you know that? What? He didn't know what let's go Brandon meant. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He was. He, what, do you think that he reads anything? What could he possibly read? What could he possibly understand? I think he is a lot sicker, Brian, than we've been led to believe. I, I, I think that he has a, a a kind of still life. I, I don't suspect that he engages in long, serious conversations about policy, in, you know, off camera. I, I think that he is basically being he's the front man for an organization. Organization. It's a it's a community-based presidency. It's a staff-run presidency. Manchin's Manchin's fight with them about the Build Back Better bill. When Manchin said it's all the staff, I don't think he was just referring to the emails and Twitter. Uh, things that were attacking him. I think he was talking about, you know, who is making the right. decisions. I really wonder myself, how many decisions is Joe mm-hmm. Biden making and how many are just presented to him for his signature? Wow, I hope you're wrong, but it's hard to argue. Michael Goodwin, uh, New York Post, foxnews.com. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. Thank All right. you. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We'll come back. I'll take your calls. And then we'll uh, move on. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75 percent, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. So that is the CDC director making it clear that, yeah, there's a danger of getting the virus. You don't want any kid to be sick. You don't want him to get the flu. You don't want him to get the measles. You don't want anything. But to sit there and panic and said kids are being targeted by Omicron and we got to get the zero to four vaccinated is an overreaction, especially because, and I give the governor of New York credit for this, she called up the hospitals randomly and said, I know you say there's a lot of uh, you know, you, you say there's a lot of hospitalizations. Can you tell me how many people are hospitalized with the virus as opposed to because of the virus? And then drilling down on it, the definition is really simple. If you come in and you got to get, you know, an ankle procedure, they'll they'll test you because they got to know how to handle you. You know, do you, do you walk in there with a hazmat suit if you're positive for this or whatever? And it turns out a lot of more people are positive. They don't even know it. So technically they're hospitalized, but not for that. So to drill down on that, so she said, give, by the end of the week, can you give me some stats on these bigger hospitals to find out exactly uh, what's going on? And it turns out that they didn't get back to her. They said, we don't have that number. Guess what they're going to end up doing? Let's go to the U.K. and Israel. That's what they always do. By the way, the uh, when it comes to these vaccines, I thought the U.K. Uh, health, uh, uh, the health secretary said, we cannot have a system where you get vaccinated every four months. Wow. No kidding. But that's exactly 
would you would think the Biden people want to see happen? Because they're looking at a booster mandatory, a, re, uh, a re-up after one year, and then a fourth shot. Can they possibly get ahead of the next variant and then see if the vaccination stops it and stop keying the vaccine? It's actually a shot. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What HHS will say is, oh, Florida, you use too much of it. Well, part of the reason we use more than other states is because we've actually embraced treatment. Most of these other governors and the people like Fauci and the federal leadership, they basically say, get a shot, wear a mask, and that they never talk about treatment. And we've really embraced treatment because that's just the reality of what we're facing. You were vaccinated, and yet you still got it. I wish the vaccines were uh, sterilizing, but they're not providing that type of an immunity. So to just not deal with treatment and be hostile to people like me who are, it shows so much of this is about a political agenda. It's about partisanship, and it's not about the best interests of the American people when you talk about how these folks are acting. And that's not a pundit. That's a governor of Florida and where everyone goes to live a free life through the pandemic. Uh, Ron DeSantis on with Mark Levin over the weekend. Brian Harrison joins us now, Texas House. He's in the Texas House 10th District, Congressman. Uh, but he was also chief of staff at the HHS under President Trump and helped launch Operation Warp Speed, which is why we have vaccines today. Uh, Congressman, welcome uh, to Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian, good morning. Great to be with you. I, I don't understand the aversion to therapeutics. The president always liked it. I always felt like the system pushed back against it. And now they took out that monoclonal antibodies. Uh, they took it away and federalized it. And now they're beginning to bring it back. They did not order enough of the Pfizer therapeutic, which is 90% effective. It's a 30-day treatment, five pills a day. They only ordered 20 million of them. Congressman, bring us inside that thought process because on this thing, everyone agrees you got it right. No, yeah, it, it's a real tragedy what we're witnessing unfold here. I mean, Joe Biden famously promised to shut down COVID. Uh, uh, he has failed demonstrably to do so, but he appears to be having a much more success shutting down COVID treatment centers across the country, including one just on Friday. I, I made the sad announcement uh, just two days ago that the only COVID therapeutic treatment center where people, patients, my constituents can get these life-saving monoclonal antibodies completely ran out, had to shut their door to treating patients because Joe Biden nationalized the total control of these therapeutics and then slashed the supply to the state of Texas. We need around 70,000. I think maybe we're going to get 2,000. But here's what happened. It's, it's so tragic because it didn't have to be this way. I mean, Joe Biden inherited all the tools from the Trump administration that he needed to defeat COVID, um, vaccine testing, therapeutics. Uh, but what he did was, unlike the Trump Operation Warp Speed, which never would have allowed this um, short-sightedness on treatments to happen, mm-hmm. he focused so much on the vaccines. You, you know, he diminished Trump's role in, in producing these vaccines, getting them developed, but then relied totally on them to solve the problem. He thought, if all I could do is force Americans to get the needle in their arms, COVID's gone by summer, he can wash his hands with them. So what he did he dropped the ball on testing and, more importantly, on therapeutics. He intentionally deprioritized the treatments because that would reduce people's desire to get a vaccine. Right. You know, he falsely believed that everybody who gets the vaccine no longer can get COVID. None of us in the Trump administration thought that. We didn't believe it. Operation Warp Speed in the Trump administration also focused on therapeutics. And they should have kept the mindset on therapeutics that we had for vaccines for all of last year, which is 
work with Pfizer, work with the private sector, let them manufacture at risk the way we did the vaccine. That way, the second you have approval, you've got distribution systems in place, supplies to pass, and you can start shipping this stuff out. We should have had a test to treat philosophy instead of a test to shut down so that everybody who has a test, go get right. a treatment, 24, 48 hours, you're back to work, back to normal. That's how America could live with COVID. Yeah, and Brian, I should say you're the state house of Texas. So, Brian, I got to ask you this. So when you look at this virus, you can't expect a president or people like me and most of our listeners who aren't expert, not only just a doctor, but epidemiologists who have done this before to understand it. Clearly, the president was not prepared for any type of uh, variant. He wasn't prepared for Delta, and we had the vice president admitted to, and he was not prepared for Omicron. So if you are a businessman, you have to reevaluate the people that are advising you. From day one, from Afghanistan on down, you should blow out everybody, uh, even though you went against your advisors there. There's no proof that any of his advisors told him anything different. And the word is his circle is so closed that you can't even get air. You, know, you can't get a sliver of paper in there. So knowing that, you know, Anthony Fauci, you were in on some of these decisions. He is sitting by yeah. the president every day. Any sober minded CEO would blow up this staff. Correct. Oh, without a doubt. It, it's completely insular. And, you know, I warned them a year and a half ago, I think, in a Fox News op-ed, because they were saying that the Trump administration created a, a chaos and a disaster with the COVID response. And I warned them explicitly that hubris and a belief that, that government knows best could actually create a mess where there wasn't one. And we've seen them try to micromanage the practice of medicine out of the White House. It's a complete disaster. NIH and, and out of Tony Fauci's office, unfortunately, they're still micromanaging the control of potentially life-saving therapeutics. I mean, we've had convalescent plasma, which the Democrats attacked the Trump administration for approving a year and a half ago. It's been sitting on the shelf. Johns Hopkins just last, I think three weeks ago, put out a, a massive study showing that it cut hospitalizations in half. So the idea that NIH, at the recommendations of Tony Fauci and others, are still sitting on the sidelines keeping potential life-saving medicines from the American people while socializing the control of all the available treatments and throttling them to the states is absolutely unconscionable. And this never would have happened with the Trump Operation Warp Speed team if we were still there. I know. Uh, and the question is, why do we ever never see briefings from experts? We never even, you know, President Trump would come out, maybe talk too much. But then you have his experts behind him, so they'd be able to answer the detailed questions. For example, I might, uh, you know, I might, I might be convinced that uh, I can call a better game for the New York Giants and their coaching staff. But I'm not a football coach, even if I own the team. So even if you think and you get briefed and you think you understand it, you want those experts there to go deep to be able to educate the reporters who are also not experts in this area, but they're speaking for the people. Listen to what Julie Pace said that she's picking up where the American people are at. So you're on the inside, and now you're kind of on the outside. And tell me if you agree with this. Cut 10. We are seeing this really remarkable shift. You know, early in the pandemic, you could basically draw a straight line between, the, between uh, you know, your partisan affiliation and where you fell on COVID restrictions. And now that's really been muddied where you're seeing uh, Democrats who had been much more in favor of tighter restrictions who are starting to, as John said, starting to 
to feel like we have to move forward and try to live with this. They want to keep schools open. They are very uh, skeptical of the need for those really tight lockdowns that we saw earlier. And, and the reality is we are in a different phase, even as we do see the case numbers on the rise uh, with more people being vaccinated. Those cases tend to be milder. We're not seeing the spikes in hospitalizations and, and deaths. And that has really muddied, I think, the, the public's willingness to accept uh, a real rollback in their ability to live life as normal. Do you see a shift? Because I do, but I haven't seen the studies. Yeah. I mean, are you seeing it? No, I, I absolutely see a shift. I mean, we're, we're two years, you know, almost exactly from when the, the pathogen hit our shores. And so in the early days, when there were talks of a containment strategy, trying to keep it from getting here, and then early mitigation measures, those were necessary only in the absence of what we have today, vaccines, therapeutic, diagnostics, distribution systems for vaccines. And you know what? President Trump, a year and a half ago, talks about needing to set the nation up to be on a path where we could live with the virus. We were mocked by the media. We I were know. mocked by the Democrats, including the current occupants of the White House. And then Biden, what, not even a month ago, threw his hands up and basically said almost the same thing. Hey, there's no federal solution. States, you figure this out. we got to learn to live with this. But we knew the only way to really learn to live with this is the same way we live with every other communicable disease, the ability to test for it and the ability to treat for it, irrespective of somebody's vaccination status. All right. And uh, lastly, we're talking to Brian Harrison, Texas House Representative, 10th District. Uh, and we're also talking to him because he's uh, he was chief of staff at the HSS under President Trump. Uh, Brian, there's a lot of talk about Texas and Georgia in terms of how you revamped your voting laws and that you made it harder to vote. These people write up these so-called news stories, not columns, news stories. And they write Texas and Georgia made it harder to vote. What is the reality? What exactly changed from 2020 to 2022 and 2024? Uh, we did not make it harder to vote. Um, let me be clear about that. But, but more importantly, we can never have the outcome of any electoral process called into question, not just in Texas, not just in Georgia, not just in any individual state, but federally as well, in this country, because that is the type of thing that could tear the fabric of any state or of our uh, Republican Party. So, no, we tightened, we made it harder to vote illegally. We increased sanctions and punishments for people who were caught cheating the system. I don't think that's something that should be controversial uh, across you know, Texas or anywhere else in the United States. Yeah, uh, I, I think that a lot of stuff, you reined in a lot of the things that we expanded during the pandemic because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Now, you were in the in Washington at the time, but oh, well, when yeah. you got in there, but I mean, right away, people said we got to stop a lot of this practice because we're losing control and the authenticity and the sanctity of the vote. And, and voter ID is something American people agree with. But I just think if, if, if you guys didn't do that, you should say it because people are just well, accepting me- that you, re- you reined it in. Well, no, no, that's right. That's right. But, I mean, one thing we have to point out, though, is the hypocrisy. These are the same people that want a show-your-papers kind of model. I mean, five-year-olds having to show their papers to go to a restaurant uh, where you are, Brian, in New York, are the same people that would call us in Texas racist for wanting you to simply show a driver's license to come in and pass a, a, a cast of vote for a governor of a state or the leader of the free world. I mean, how is this not uh, the, the textbook definition of hypocrisy? Brian Harrison, thanks so much. Keep uh, We need your expertise now more than ever. Appreciate it. Great to be with you, Brian. You got it. one 408 Bob Glaber of Newsday, NFL writer, on the mass firings in the NFL today and the, the incredible drama that took place yesterday. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm going to bring in Bob Glauber now, one of the most respected writers in the NFL for years. Not that he's old, but he's been around a long time uh, and always seems to have a smile on his face. Today, there's a lot of coaches without one, but there's got to be people in the commissioner's office that's happy because there was so much drama yesterday. Bob, welcome back. Brian, thank you for having me. I am old, um, but I do smile, so it's yeah, fine. All the it's time you smile. I don't know how you do it. But listen, first off, what about that drama last night? Get oh this. Overtime, and now with overtime, you kick a field goal, you got a chance to get the ball back. So they're, they're tied, uh, San Diego and, excuse me, the Chargers and the Raiders. And if the game ends in a tie, both teams advance. No time left in overtime. The Raiders hit the field goal. They advance. Steelers advance too. Chargers are out. Think about that. Incredible. It was that was one of the most riveting games given first of all the game itself, it was tremendous. And Justin Herbert with the comeback in the fourth quarter, you see the tie, you see Steelers fans have got to be freaking out because if that game ends in a tie, the Steelers are out. And then you go into overtime and it looks like the clock is winding down and the char- and the Chargers are, are calling a timeout. Which, you know, and the Raiders were content to run out the clock and end it in a tie. And then Brandon Staley, the Chargers' first-year coach, calls a tie, gives them time to run one more play, get some 10 yards closer, and boom, game is over, and, and the Chargers are out. Brian, that was that was as good and dramatic a last game as, as I can ever remember. And just love seeing the Raiders in those games. It reminds me of the 70s when I was just becoming a sports fan, and the Raiders and Steelers and Dolphins would play these classic yeah. games. Uh, and I know, um, I know we can relate to that. It came up in the same era. Jaguars, uh, Colts, all the Colts have to do is beat the worst team in the league, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they lose 26-11? Can you bring yeah. me inside this game? Does, it, does that make sense to you? Where the fans showed up in, in Jacksonville with clown outfits? Yeah, the fans are just beside themselves with uh, frustration and disappointment over the years. It's been a it's been a terrible franchise. They've had no luck. The Urban Meyer experiment fizzled in spectacular fashion, and Trent Baalke, the general manager, was left behind in place to pick another coach. And the fans just erupted, and you know they they protested by wearing those those clown outfits. So you know, on clown out day. Uh, the Jaguars pull off one of the biggest upsets of the day, knock the Colts out of the playoffs, and, you know, maybe inject a little bit of hope for the future, but it, it's going to be a tough slog. Fired Chicago Bears coach, fired the Denver coach, despite, you know, they played very well in their last game, had a chance to win in advance. I guess 500 is not good enough. I can't believe Brian Flores gets fired despite winning, what, seven of his last eight games? He is out. Yeah. Uh, after beating New England in his final game, too, as former coach, before he coached under Bill Belichick. Are you surprised by this? Brian, that is the one that got me. You know, every year there is one or two surprises as, as head coach firings, and that qualifies as the top surprise of the year. You know, Brian Flores has done – listen, you know, he had a long losing streak early on, but he had he's the first coach in NFL history to have a losing streak of seven games and a winning streak of seven games in the same season. He righted the ship. He got that team playing competitive winning football. He got an embattled to a – Tango Vialoa to, to play his best football. Now, he's not perfect, and maybe he's not the answer, but, you know, Brian Flores is not the problem there. And mm-hmm. him getting the gate is is a surprise. But I suspect that, you know, if he wants to be a head coach again as soon as next year, 
I think there's, you know, he might be at or near the top of the list of prospective candidates. Yeah, and people wouldn't be upset like the last time the Jets hired a Dolphins coach who failed epically with a terrible personality. But oh, now great. let's talk about the Giants. The <laughs> Giants, outside the Jaguars, are the biggest, have, are the most unsuccessful uh, organization. Uh, I think over the last five years, six years, they used to blame Eli Manning. That doesn't work. Uh, now Gettleman is going to retire, it looks like. He's their general manager. But is it true? Do you believe Joe Judge is out? I know the New York Post is writing that the players want him out. What do you say? Brian, I think we'll know that answer in a matter of hours, perhaps even a matter of minutes. But I, I, suspect, I lean toward that he will not be back. Now, John Mara said before the season, he said during the season, he wants to give Joe Judge a chance to grow. You know, he's already fired two, his previous two coaches after just two years each. It's not a way to run an NFL franchise. He knows it. But, you know, Brian, that stadium was probably a third full yesterday. Um, there were some fans who showed up with bags over their heads. This is not the idea that the Giants want to portray. So, you know, Joe Judge is the author of this, you know, debacle over the last two years. You know, 6-10, and ten, they were interesting last year for about a month. Right? They had a little bit of a playoff hope in a terrible division. This year, it's been just a debacle. And once uh, Daniel Jones got hurt, and that's not an excuse. You know, teams win with backup quarterbacks. But the Giants were just not a functional team in losing their last six, seven games. And so I, I think John Mara, I think he will decide to just wipe the slate clean, hire a new general manager who will then have a great say in hiring the next co- coach. But look, he, you know, he could he could go against that. But if he does, it is a wildly unpopular decision. And John Mara is not in the uh, habit of going against his fans' wishes. Um, looking at right now, if I was to pick a, a team, if I asked Bob Glaubers with regard to begin the wild card round of the of the NFL playoffs, the most interesting, the tournament. Who do you think is going to end up in the Super Bowl? You know, Brian, I said before the season that it would be Kansas City and Green Bay, and I'm going to stick with that. I mean, might as well just stick with what what got you there. Now, Green Bay, I feel a little bit better about, but they they lost with the number one seed last year. But I right. I do think that Aaron Rodgers comes back with a bit more of a steely eyed right. mission in in getting there. You, and I I will ahead. stay with the Chiefs because. You know, they are battle-tested in terms of the last couple of years getting to the Super Bowl. So they're not perfect, though. And, and that's that's a team that is a, perhaps a little bit subject to, to an upset here or there, you know, down Bob, the road. I think they'll win the first game. Very good prediction. Bob, 10 seconds left. Will you vote for an MVP candidate that isn't vaccinated? I will vote for Aaron Rodgers for MVP, yes. <laughs> Bob, thanks so much. You're the best. Bob Glauber, New York Newsday. Back in a moment. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade Show. Happy to be coming to you from crime-ridden New York. Uh, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll just bring it up again. I mean, when you see uh, guys like Johnny Carson when he passed away, when you have John Madden, when he passed away, they're bigger than life. You think they're going to be around forever. As successful as they have been, just to think that they are gone is stunning. 
Now, Bob Saget might not have been the most successful comedian in the country, but if you think about what he did on Full House and how every oh, so many people listening to me right now either were parents or kids growing up with it, and then if you think about what he was on uh, America's Funniest Home Videos and the innovation he had there and the likability, and then he was this sta- outstanding stand-up comedian uh, who ironically, was just in Ponte Vedra off A1A where I just was, not that it's about me, but where I just was with uh, the President of Freedom Fighter Tour in the same theater. And it was about 600 to 800 people there. And he tweeted out how much he loved it, how great the crowd was. And at 65, he is just as into stand-up as he was at 26. And then he dies in his hotel room in Orlando it is stunning. It's bad for him and his three kids and his wife, especially. But for so many people who have these great things to say from John Stewart to all his co-stars on down, it's it, he will be missed. Uh, it's just jarring. Uh, also, special thanks to, uh, we have a brand new affiliate, WJDRFM. Uh, they're going to be taking us live on 98.3 in beautiful southern Mississippi. We appreciate it. Welcome to the fastest growing show in the country, Big Three Time. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And here's the really crucial question. Are the Russians posing? In the end, do they plan some kind of an invasion? Or are they really looking for something that will satisfy them? That's the, we just don't know the answer at this stage. Uh, You just don't know the answer at this stage. It matters. Diplomatic talks in Switzerland right now between Russia and U.S. officials. Wendy Sherman leads. And uh, I would think that's what's at stake, the recapture of the Soviet Union by the Russians. I mean, that's what they're up to. Kazakhstan, Georgia, uh, Ukraine, Belarus. That's what they're up to. Number two. That number 25 is a very big number for Democrat retirements. In 2010, when we won the majority, 17 Democrats retired, already 25. I expect that number to be up to over 30 Democrat retirements because they see what the future holds and they see what the numbers. Uh, I think it's going to be more, and I think they're going to have a substantial lead in the House. The future Speaker Kevin McCarthy caving to the filibuster, federalizing elections. That's what could happen this year. If Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema cave, that's what the Democrats are going for. And why is it that Donald Trump is more popular today than he was a year ago, despite losing 153 million followers on social media? We'll discuss it. Number one. We have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people is severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in, in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. That is not true. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor makes up numbers out of thin air. Isn't that crazy? At stake? The Omicron variants and the mandates that follow it. The Omicron is not Delta. The numbers have never added up. And she's Supreme Court Justice, who has got a staff as big as you want, a budget, whatever it takes, and she's that ill-informed? That is crazy. Uh, In about uh, 30 minutes, I'm going to talk to Brett Baer. Did a great job, as usual, on Fox News Sunday. And then you have Alex Foyes, uh, Fuse, who will join us. He's a Siena College student. He's like many college students. He's forced to take, he's going to be forced to take the booster shot. He does not want to do it. He spoke out about it, got written up. He's taken on his school over in Siena, which is in Albany, a great school there, uh, because the booster has not proven effective, and there's a lot of people concerned about it young. Here's Dr. Rochelle Walensky on Justice Sotomayor. First, here is what she said on Friday, the Supreme Court Justice got to. Those numbers show that Omicron (laughs) um, is as deadly 
uh, and causes as much serious disease in the unvaccinated as Delta did. Um, we have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in, in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. Unbelievable, right? Uh, so not true. Among the people pointing it out, you, everybody else, the Washington Post. So Brett Baer was, was interviewing uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, much defamed, uh, much defrocked, now being forced the humiliation of going through media training while running the CDC. She even had to admit it. The we number's not 100,000. It's roughly 3,500 in hospitals now. It, Yes, there are, there are. And in fact, what I will say is, while pediatric hospitalizations are rising, they're still about 15-fold less than hospitalizations of our older age, age demographics. Do you have a number of children on ventilators? Um, I do not know, have that off the top of my head, but what I can say is for I, I don't believe there are um, any in many of these hospitals who are vaccinated. So really, the highest risk of being uh, on a ventilator if you're a child is if you're unvaccinated. These people are unbelievable. All the, they just get up in the morning and say, remember, tell everyone to get vaccinated. There's no other play. That's your play. You keep running the ball right up the middle. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. I have an idea. Why don't you get ahead of the next variant so we might be able to be ready for it? As the health inspector, uh, as the health director in the U.K. said, we cannot do with – we may not be in a situation where every four months or even six months, my words – Every four months, they said, we are getting another shot because that's what they're looking at right now. And the circle around Joe Biden has totally let him down. If he has an ounce of sensibility, he will blow it up, reconfigure it, make it bigger, and then realize your one play is not working. I'm not saying it doesn't pay to get vaccinated. I'm not saying it doesn't pay to get boosted. But when you have high-profile people like, I don't know, Whoopi Goldberg, Dana Perino— uh, AOC, fully vaccinated, doing everything they're supposed to do, still getting it. People are saying to themselves, what are we doing here? And when you have uh, Chicago teachers say 73% vote, we're not going to go uh, back to school, you're hurting the kids in the meantime. So I'm not talking about getting an advantage over an election, but I'm talking about right now getting through it. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya was on Next Revolution last night. And talked about where we're at with this virus. Listen, on Omicron, most people say within two weeks we're going to see a tipping point. The Midwest is going to go a little bit hot, but we're going to start going down. I think we hit the equilibrium right now. And if you look at uh, what's happening in the U.K., if you look what's happening in, in South Africa, this is going to stop really quick. Cut 11. What endemic means is this virus is here forever. Uh, it will return over and over again, in, in hopefully not in such large waves in the future, but with waves in the future. Endemic, but that's not so scary. Because people are protected either by the vaccination, which protects against severe disease, or by prior infection. So in, in a sense, you'll get it repeatedly over maybe once every two, one, two, three, four years, uh, but it'll be a cold. That's what endemic ultimately means. Right. And in the meantime, when you told us we'd beat it, you'd kill the virus. When you told us we're going to be take federal control over this, when I told everybody uh, we're going to be back in school, and it all didn't end up being true— you or your name is Joe Biden, and that's what you claimed, and that's what you promised, and it didn't happen. Nobody uh, knew exactly what variant was coming, but almost every expert said variants usually come off the major virus. So you got Delta. As the vice president said, we weren't ready for it. 
even though Anthony Fauci said we were. They were not. Omicron, they were not ready for it. I don't care what anyone says. That's what leads Jonathan Carl to say this. He is somebody, I think does a good job, but he, he you know, he obviously targets Donald Trump over the top, uh, hyperventilating his latest book too, Cut Nine. And when you look at where we are now, you know, I mean, obviously the pandemic's not under control. That's not Biden's fault. That's that's a virus that has uh, mutated and advanced in ways that have been unpredictable uh, and and hard to control. But you, you've had a disaster over testing, which reminds me of the disaster over testing that, frankly, we had when when, when Trump pre- was president. We've had mixed messaging out of the CDC uh, that has drawn criticism from people like uh, Dr. Zha and, and, and other medical experts. Uh, he needs to establish uh, a, a, a new direction and a new plan for this. And I think realizing that he has to, that we're all going to be living with a new normal is the first step towards doing that. Yeah, it would help. But the disaster with the testing, not many people thought the president of the United States should be doing that. He was focused on China trade deal. OK. And then when the disaster, when it hit our shores, they told them it wasn't going to be a problem and they had tests ready. It wasn't ready. But then after that, when they had the test, they flooded the zone. They spread them out. They began to fan them out. And we had a vaccine. So there is really no excuse for this. So when we come back, how it affects kids of all ages. What about college kids? They want to go back to school. They want to finish up their degree. If you go to a place, a prestigious place like Siena College, you get in. You don't want to say, well, I'm not going to get vaccinated, so kick me out. You're not going to say, I don't want to finish up and get my degree, so kick me out. Or you also don't want to ruin the college experience and do the networking and the interviews on campus. And if you don't get vaccinated, you're not going to be able to do that, uh, let alone actually continue to attend school, depending on the school's policies, if you're not in a place like Texas. So uh, one student spoke out. And they wrote up the story at Siena College. Siena is a great school right outside the capital of New York, and that's Albany, New York. That student will be joining me shortly uh, about why he does not want to get the booster and why he should stand up for all uh, college students once and for all. How many more, how much more will they have to take? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back in a moment. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So what's happening in colleges and universities right now represents the most extreme overreach of public health and an abuse of power over people who are defenseless, people who are there to get a degree, who worked hard, who paid a lot of money, and they're worried about losing uh, that position. They were afraid to be identified in the reporting that I did in this piece. Now, these are low-risk people who were already vaccinated, yet Emerson College requires additional testing twice a week. I met, I talked to one student who had nosebleeds from the frequent tests, and they have indoor stay-in-room policies. Amherst requires double masking, or a KN95. Cornell requires outdoor masking. Georgetown has people policing the library, yelling at students if they take down their masks to take a drink of water. The students go outside in the cold to drink water. This is an abuse of power, and it's something that students are pushing back on. And you just heard some examples of that from Dr. Uh, McCary uh, about what's going on. And you could probably relate to that if you have a college student or you're in college yourself. Alex Fuse certainly knows that. He's a a Siena College student, and he he found out that He's got to get a booster, and he's not happy about it, and he's speaking out. Alex, thanks for joining me. Brian, thanks for having me. Alex, first five, what is your thought about getting a booster, first off? What, do you, what is your reservation? 
my reservation about the booster shot, if you are eligible for it and you want to take it, go for it. But if you feel like if you, let's say, go get an antibody test and you have the sufficient antibodies to compete against the COVID-19, different variants or the virus itself, then you should not have to get the COVID booster to be really required uh, to wherever you are either going to school or eating at a restaurant or going to a concert be required to be up to date with. Are you back on campus yet? I am not back on campus right now, no. Because you're still on break, right? Yes, still on break for about two more weeks. So five days before you get on campus, if you don't get the booster, what happens? Well, then I won't be able to come on campus. And before we, all students that return to Siena this spring have to, within five to seven days, get a negative PCR test, which is a a very big gap in my opinion. And then, of course, you have to have the COVID booster shot in order to return to campus uh, this spring. And then if you, let's say, just want to be remote and just do classes online, you would still not be able to do so if you don't have the booster shot. Alex, you um, you have a voice in this? Do I have a voice? Uh, uh, in this campus decisions. Does your student government have any say in this? Do you have any say in this? Do they ask the students where they stand on this? They haven't asked the students uh, from, they haven't asked me what my stance is. I've spoke out. Um, I, I've received back um, some notes that they are willing to talk with me about the campus reopening plan that has already been confirmed, which really relates to me is that this is what we are going to do no matter what happens between now and the reopening of the campus. I know, Sienna, if you don't around the country, not only they have great Division One sports teams, but it's a small mm-hmm. prestigious school. Uh, outside the state's capital, and it takes a lot. You take great grades to stay in there and get in there. The last thing you want to do is throw that in the street. So they really have you over a barrel. What they say goes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, I mean, so you really got to wait for them. Now, you had it. You have the antibodies. Do you think – I have not seen any school except antibodies, either all in or all out. Uh, from last semester – I understand that you had a normal campus. You were able to walk around without a mask because you were vaccinated, vaccinated, you were vaccinated, and you were able to go visit people in their dorm rooms. What's going to be like this year? As of right now, it's going to be about the same. Uh, but, Brian, also, uh, just to note, Siena was one of the few colleges that reopened in the fall of 2020. Remember, that was yep. before any vaccine was made apparent. We had a mandatory mask wearing. We even had in-person classes. Sure, they were on a smaller size. There were classes outdoors. Um, but still, and there was over 3,500 tests administered that fall 2020. And over the course of four months, we only had 173 positive cases. That was before any therapeutic any vaccine, and we were still able to be in-person and have in-person learning before any of any vaccine. So what do you plan on doing about it? Well, right now, I mean, still, right now, it's just still hopeful that the college uh, would reconsider the mandate um, and, and just encourage students to get the booster dose if they want to get it and are eligible to get it. What does it say to you that we're watching high-profile people like Whoopi Goldberg, uh, AOC, almost every, uh, we watched, um, uh, even our own Dana Perino, they got double vaccinated. The minute they go, we were able to get the booster. They got the booster. They wear the mask everywhere and they still got it. What do you, what is it? What is that? How does that make you feel? I would say it just, it makes me question, um, what the end game is here, right? It, it seems 
you could argue the control and prevention component could play into that, right? If you get the vaccine, then you can sort of go back to normal. But if you're trying to control or prevent serious cases, where's the therapeutic aspect uh, in to colleges? If, if there are serious cases, um, what therapeutics are available uh, for that? I, I always question, what is the end game to all of this? Is it to keep cases down or is it to keep serious and, and cases and deaths down? And at the moment, it just seems like we're trying. We're still trying to keep cases down, even after vaccines and therapeutics are readily available to everyone. I got two college students in my ass, and they basically still were told, "You can't go back to campus unless you're boosted." So, and most people listening to us right now, either their parents or kid or students, on some level, or they have people in their family, so they understand your story, Alex. So, Alex, keep me up to date on how you're doing. I admire that you spoke out. Have you gotten blowback since your since your story appeared on FoxNews.com? No, I haven't. You know, I've, I've received some support, you know, from students here as well, uh, but I haven't received any negative. Uh, no. Good. Uh, that's good to hear. Uh, Alex, thanks so much. Alex Fuse, I hope it works out for you. Please keep me up to date uh, because I have confidence uh, in your uh, in your board and maybe they'll listen to you and understand that students uh, what students do with their body should matter uh, to the students and they should at least uh, deal them into the su- into the subject matter. Thanks, Alex. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brian. You got it. Uh, When we come back, Brett Bear will join me. Uh, I'm not sure if he's boosted, but I just want to hear what he has to say about politics. Is that okay? I hope so. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Those numbers show that Omicron um, is as deadly uh, and causes as much serious disease in the unvaccinated as Delta did. Um, We have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. Uh, 100% not true, and Michelle Walensky would back that up because she was asked that by Brett Baer. Let's listen to the response. The number is not 100,000. It's roughly 3,500 in hospitals now. It, yes, there are, there are. And in fact, what I will say is, while pediatric hospitalizations are rising, they're still about 15-fold less than hospitalizations of our older age, age demographics. Do you have a number of children on ventilators? Um, I do not know, have that off the top of my head, but what I can say is for I, I don't believe there are um, any in many of these hospitals who are vaccinated. So really, the highest risk of being uh, on a ventilator if you're a child is if you're unvaccinated. So that was uh, what Brett Baer did and had to talk to as he worked six days uh, doing Fox News Sunday. Hey, Brett, welcome back. Hey, how are you? So what did you think? Did you feel as though there was pressure on the CDC director, especially after Friday's story came out? that uh, she was going undergoing media training? Yeah. I, listen, it was uh, clear that she wanted to get the message out about vaccination, which is what their message has been from, from the beginning. But trying to get specifics um, through that interview was fairly difficult. Um, finally, in another interview, she did answer the question that I, I asked about um, what how what's the split on on the deaths the 836,000 deaths 
um, as far as dying from COVID. Or you know dying what? We actually COVID. have it, Brett. You let, let's listen together. Yeah. Cut for Do you know how many of the 836,000 deaths in the U.S. linked to COVID are from COVID or how many are with COVID, but they had other comorbidities? Do you have that breakdown? Um, yes, of course. With Omicron, we're following that very carefully. Our death registry, of course, um, takes a few weeks to and is, uh, takes a few weeks to collect. Um, and of course, Omicron has just been with us for a few weeks, but those data will be forthcoming. Forthcoming, like on Good Morning America. Yeah. Let's listen. All right. The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75 percent, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. Wow, that's unbelievable. So that's a stat that, um, you know, obviously ABC was not touting that from the rooftops, but that's one that we've been trying to get to, to find. Uh, Not to say that that COVID is not serious. That's not the reason. It is the fact that, that the CDC has data that they're not releasing or haven't been releasing. And that's one of them. I mean, if you do the math there, it's not one comorbidity or two. She's saying they had four co- comorbidities, uh, and they were, and she goes on to say, very ill prior to coming into the hospital. Um, and so, you know, that's significant. If you look at those numbers, it tells it's a different story. So this is the hottest issue in the world, uh, and I'm not. Uh, it's not hyperbole if I can quote the president. And one thing the Axios writes today is that it's pretty clear the president's got a very small circle of advisors when it comes to this pandemic, one of which obviously is Anthony Fauci. Whether you like him or hate him or despise him or worship him, he's polarizing. Uh, not many Republicans run to find out what to which Anthony Fauci's going to say uh, unless they just want to roll their eyes and they hadn't done it yet. So at what point does he reevaluate? Who's advising him, Brett? Have you heard of anything going on about this administration which gets more insular by the day? No, I haven't heard of any changes. And I thought that, you know, in the wake of a lot of things, that there might be uh, some changes. I mean, if you go down, you go back to Afghanistan, you go back to other places. I think um, that on the issues, especially on the pandemic, you're right. It's a certain group of people uh, and there haven't been changes, and there's not even indications that we've heard that there are big changes coming. You know, Ron Klain is White House chief of staff, other of his advisors. I do know that there is a concern in the Democratic Party and in the administration about what they're seeing in the polls about how the handling of coronavirus, the handling of inflation uh, is going. Uh, yeah, I will. And I also think the numbers uh, with the numbers going up, un- uh, being unable to anticipate the next variant uh, is understandable to not to not anticipate another variant is not. I mean, we were learning this on the fly unless you specialized in 1918, uh, the pandemic. Then you really were caught by surprise. We're living through this. And we heard about the possibilities in the past. But for the experts said, look out for the variants that are coming. But this president still in July said we're basically done with this. Take the mask off if you're vaccinated. But he keeps playing the same song over and over again. And I just look at the exasperation of Dana Perino and Whoopi Goldberg and high profile people, let alone Mr. and Mrs. America, who have done everything asked, including get the booster. And they're still getting the virus. So the the song is getting played over and over again. Right. Which is why when I ask some of those questions to come back to, yes, uh, but it's safer with the vaccine. 
We get that. But if you have everything, if you've done everything and you still get Omicron, um, what does that tell you? You know, and does that affect your thinking about health policy when it comes to federal mandates Uh, or doesn't it? What one thing that was clear is that, you know, a Supreme Court justice using faulty info uh, to make an argument of the question uh, is is serious stuff. Now, there was also Justice Gorsuch who talked about the flu in bigger numbers than the annual flu rates are. However, the mandate question is Justice Sotomayor saying 100,000 kids in the hospital, many of them on ventilators. There were 3,500 in hospitals across the U.S. as of Friday, and we haven't found out a number of ventilators. That's not to say it's serious. It's not to say that it's not serious, rather. It's not to say that any kid should die, but it is to say we have to know the stats, and that's what uh, has been tough to get to. Uh, Brett Baer, our guest, and uh, we might have some news on that. Do you think we do have some news on that you want to get to? Yes, you're actually— um, Brett, this, uh, they just sent out a re- uh, revised transcript regarding Gorsuch's comment saying, initially saying hundreds of thousands, and now the rever- uh, revision is hundreds, comma, thousands of people die each you year. You mean Sotomayor? No, no, Gorsuch. They're no, no, ex- this is yeah. Gorsuch, because the original transcript said hundreds of thousands, and people who were saying we were obsessing about Sotomayor's question were saying, well, what about Gorsuch and his mischaracterization of the flu numbers. Well, that's different if the transcript says hundreds and thousands as opposed to hundreds of thousands. Gotcha. All right. So I want to bring you to something else in the Wall Street Journal today. Uh, They just brought up this phenomenon that I don't think anyone really knows for sure. How is it that Donald Trump, after pretty much playing a role in the loss of both Senate seats in Georgia and having a role of having the rally at the very least January 8th, and then being take off all social media, that means communication with 153 million followers. How is it that he is now 43% approval? That is a 9% negative. Got it. Not great. But he was at minus 20. What does it tell you, just in speculation, because no one knows for sure, that Donald Trump's popularity and strength is stronger today a year ago than it was a year ago, despite losing social media in those two Senate seats? Well, listen, I mean, just from an analysis point of view, one, the Biden administration is having a tough time on a bunch of different fronts. And the last guy looks a lot better in that prism, looking through that, um, just when we're talking policy. Two, there's an argument to be made that social media never helped President Trump. And that if he didn't tweet, if he didn't react to everything, if we didn't know every, you know, utterance and thought about some person personally or some action, uh, that perhaps he may have served himself better. That's one analysis of it. You know, he he takes a different view, but um, it's hard to argue with the numbers. Here's uh, in the story, it says, during his time in office, even his most ardent supporters told posters they wish Trump wouldn't broadcast each grievance and respond to every criticism. They go on. I don't know a single person in Trump world who regrets that this has happened, mean, meaning banned from social media. But Brad, I think it overall, uh, I, I look at someone like Mark Levin. Mark Levin says without any social media, 
his book was number one and said it was book of the year, like sold more copies than anybody else. He did not tweet. He did not say anything out. He hopped on his radio show and hopped on Fox. And we, everyone thought, like, if you want to get anywhere, if you want to sell a product, you want to sell yourself, you got to get on social media. Are we, we, I think there might be a reevaluation of the most controversial thing in America today, and that's social media. People who hate it, love it, feel it's biased, it's not biased, they're banning, they're not banning, it needs to be reined in, it needs to be let go. Regardless, the power might be extremely overrated. Is there a chance that we might come to that conclusion? Yeah. I mean, we may come to the conclusion that the negatives of social media are uh, outweigh the benefits. Now, I do think it's a powerful tool. I do think it has still tremendous outreach. But one, it can be dark and a place that strange ideas become get lifted up. If you look at the Biden campaign during the election, you know, they were specific. They were saying, we don't we are not Twitter based. And they they weren't, you know, they didn't play to the Twitter Democratic crowd. Uh, they ended up winning. The I, I think there is an argument to be made, and clearly, when it comes to President Trump, uh, some of his biggest headaches came from something he said or tweeted or. Um, you know, put on Facebook. Right. Uh, by the way, uh, final thought. I know you're hosting tonight at 6 uh, on 6 o'clock Eastern time, special report. But the All-Star Panel event in Naples is closing in to benefit Children's National Hospital. That'll be February 19th. Um, I know there are very few tickets left, but if you go to All-Star mm-hmm. Panel event at gmail.com, that's where you can get your, that's where you can reach out, send an email. You can go to actually the website's easier, uh, allstarpanelevent.com, www.allstarpanelevent.com. I think there's only a few tickets left, and uh, it's going to be a great, great night. Jesse Waters, Dana Perino, you, Shannon Bream, me, Harris Faulkner, and uh, we're going to raise a lot of money for Children's National, which is a great place that's uh, helping kids around the world. Yeah, my sheet, uh, my name's mentioned first, but you mentioned me third. That's kind of interesting. Oh, I mean, it's just how it came to mind. I'm I mean, just I'm saying, on your show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you go and do other shows, if you would mention me first, that would be. Well, that's true. That is true. But it is for a good By the cause. way, yeah. congrats on the book. It still is cooking. I was in the airport the other day. There it was. <laughs> yeah, it's hanging in there. I mean, it's still hanging in there. I think we, we both have stumbled onto very interesting topics because go back in history to talk about what's happening today, our race in America. Yeah. Uh, and shocking, you know, we can in the past. How about that? Right. Uh, to rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, the fragile union, the crisis of 1876. Uh, Brett, we'll watch you tonight. I will be there. All right. Thanks so much. Hey, when we come back, we open up the phones and finish with a flurry. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy. He'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. He was a supermarket person. Uh, supermarkets. He said that one day A&P was going to merge with Stop and Shop and be Stop and Peep. That was uh, one of the funnier jokes uh, from Bob Saget. Well, no, one of the only clean jokes that we could play on the air. He does a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, he uh, still goes off the top of his head a lot, but I mean, he's the guy from Full House. But sadly, Bob Saget passed away at the age of 65. Uh, it makes me think there's more to know. More to know. 
So Bob Saget appeared on Fox and Friends at least four times. Every single time, he was extremely funny and gracious. Evidently, he did lean to the left. I did not know that. Dave Rubin, who leans to the right, and him became friends. I guess Dave Rubin does stand-up. I wasn't aware of that. But I always found him incredibly engaging and entertaining and nice. Just that, a nice guy. That's what everyone says about him, right? Just that he was a kind human being, which is like what what better attribute can someone say about you once you're gone? Yeah, Candace Cameron Bure. Uh, Bure, I don't know what to say. I have no words. Bob was the most was the best human beings I've ever known. John Stamos, I'm broken, I'm gutted. Uh, Dave Coye, my heart is broken. Uh, he loves him. Jim Norton, R.I.P. Bob Saget. Everything I start to write about him just feels inadequate. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Uh, if he passed away at 65, the medical examiner trying to find out why. Yesterday in Orlando, around four o'clock, this came across. They found him there. Uh, and uh, he had just appeared in Ponte Vedra the day before in Orlando, but then went back to Orlando, which was two and a half hours away, was prepared to go up, I believe, in West Palm Beach. Okay. Yeah, and they said there's, uh, you know, no evidence of drugs or foul play, but, yeah, the medical examiner is... Yeah, 65 years old. Uh, Jovac Nokovic, as we move ahead, uh, Nokovic uh, wins uh, his visa appeal for now, and a judge, despite him not being vaccinated, is allowed him to play at the Australian Open. He is the number one player in the world. He's 34 years old, and he just got this virus. He's unvaccinated December 15th. So you got to think his antibodies are fine. The problem is this is against Australian law. Circuit Court Judge Anthony Kelly noted that Djokovic has provided officials at the airport with a medical ex- exemption given to him by the Tennis Australia, which organized the Australian Open. Uh, the point I'm somewhat agitated is, is that more, more of this, uh, what more could this man have done? Uh, his dad said he was re-arrested or re-contained or whatever you want to say, re-retained, but they have not gotten confirmation on that. But I believe the dad. No, I believe that, too. And right there saying it's becoming quite the diplomatic uproar, right? Because the Serbia is getting, you know, they want him to be able to defend his title. Yeah, of course, he's the hero there. Next, uh, within the same story, the New York Times op-ed slams unvaccinated athletes as if they're the problem, like Aaron Rodgers. A quote, what's worse than an anti-vaxxer in a pandemic? An anti-vaxxer star athlete, the paragon of physical health, cloaked in the cape of defiance, declares to the world by example that you don't have to follow public health policy as long as you win. If public health policy mandates you doing something to your health, I think you can push back. I would agree, especially if your whole living is based on your physical ability and all of the um, stats regarding myocarditis are not even being reported. Next. I don't get it. The Golden Globes happened, but nobody went, no one presented, and you couldn't even get it on stream. This year's ceremony was more of a press release because they're upset because of that not diversity amongst the voters. Um, the opening monologue from the likes of Ricky Gervais, followed by slur presenters, has been nixed. So did it happen? If, if Did the Golden Globes happen? Who voted? What changed? Who won't stream? How could you not stream it? You could go on Instagram Live and stream it. Well, because they wouldn't then get all of the people to probably show up on the stream, you know, the big A-list stars. This is the way, though, award shows should be, right? No one was watching anyway. Ah. They were terrible. We don't have to pull back right. the horrible clips. I guess so, but... Best mo- they had 18 million people watch or something like that last year. Best motion picture, uh, drama winner, The Power of the Dog. Best motion picture, musical, West Side Story. Best actress, Nicole Kidman. Best actor in a motion picture, Will Smith. Of course, King Richard. I said that. Uh, best actor in a motion picture, uh, musical or comedy, Andrew Garfield. I'm not sure what that is. Tick, tick, boom. Best picture by an actress, which, again, women are acting now, so this is very good, uh, is Gene Smart in Hacks. Uh, winner of Best Performance by an Actor in Television Series, J. 
Jason Sudeikis and Ted Lasso. So they've dominated. I don't know. I don't even have to say about it. I don't know who voted, who came. Is anyone happy about it, what the criteria was? Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.